Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the Gospel and Father Brian Barr's homily from this past Sunday. As always, keep an eye out for our Q&A and discussion episodes. Until then, here's the Gospel from July 16th, 2017, the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood along the shore. And he spoke to them at length in parables, saying, The sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path. And birds came and ate, up, ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground where it had little soil sprang up at once because the soil wasn't deep, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it withered for lack of roots. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. But some fell on rich soil and produced fruit, a hundred or sixty or thirtyfold. Whoever has ears ought to hear. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is an article in uh, Newsday a couple of days ago, I think, I think it was Friday, that was kind of interesting. It was actually an editorial, and it was, uh, it described this mom's, this mother's recent experience of dropping one of her kids off, or no, not dropping, uh, taking one of her kids to um, their college freshman orientation. Um, I think this was her youngest of a couple of kids and this experience she said was different from some of the previous orientation experiences this is what she said oh this is the the description uh, her name is Jennifer Jennifer Neal returned from her son's college orientation astonished by the vanity and the lack of common sense and the immaturity And it wasn't the freshmen that made her cringe. It was their parents. She says, this is her being quoted, I'm seriously worried about this generation's ability to survive, let alone thrive, with parents like these. Anyway, she um, described, or she shared her experience in more detail, I guess on Facebook, and that kind of exploded. Um, lots of people had lots to say, most affirming her uh, experience, her observations. Uh, interesting, a lot of uh, number of teachers and uh, therapists, counselors responded, um, coaches, and then just just lots of parents, um, all pretty much confirming her experience. Uh, more than anything, they talked about just some of the questions, ridiculous questions that parents were asking, uh, you know, college deans, school administrators. Here's a couple of them. Who keeps track of when they come home at night? Nobody. Um, who makes sure that they go to class? Nobody. We're not paying anybody to do that. Like, you'll call us 
if they don't go to class, right? No, we will not. This was the best. Will someone at the dining hall remind my son not to eat what he's allergic to? No. Nobody's, nobody's going to do that. These people don't exist. Um, nobody's going to do what you've been doing, I guess, for the last 17 years. This is what she also says in the article. What surprised me most was that parents were attending freshman summer orientation with their kids. Isn't this a time for letting go? What I came to learn is that while colleges and universities once held parents at arm's length, the majority now embrace them by scheduling parallel session, sessions for each generation. They show up at the same time and administrators present the information each set of newbies needs to know. This is kind of her point. She goes, uh, including parents, the orientation begs the question, when does the letting go begin? I confess, I sent my oldest to freshman orientation by herself. She drove more than three hours to get there. I was nervous, but September will be the real deal. And I thought it would be better for her to take a small step now. Or perhaps I just didn't want to be the parent asking the clueless question in front of the others. You know, I don't, I don't think that uh, going to your kid's orientation is crazy. But treating, treating them like they're eight when they're 18 is crazy. Um, and listen, you know, I don't have kids. You know that. So, you know, throughout what I'm seeing here, you may be like, yeah, okay, but how do you, what do you know? You know? You never had a teenager. You never had to drop a kid off at school. You never had to, you know, a parent. I, I know. I mean, it's true. It doesn't mean I don't have a, an opinion. I've actually worked with kids a lot. Worked at a high school f- full-time. I worked on college campuses full-time. There was an article in uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, not too long ago, and it was saying how colleges and universities have had to really uh, significantly ex- uh, expand their mental health services. Uh, almost exponentially, these have grown um, in the last 10, 15 years for students. Kids struggling with anxiety and stress, uh, rejection, time management, loneliness, so these schools, pretty much everywhere, it sounded like, are just, just hiring. They're pumping more resources into counseling and, and therapy. Because the demand has grown. Here's a question. Um, could these two articles maybe be connected? Could the, the mom's experience of the parents at that orientation, those sort of ridiculous questions, could that maybe be connected to the Wall Street Journal article? Like, in other words, could overprotective 
helicoptering, coddling, excuse-making parents be the reason or a reason why we need to increase our mental health services on the campuses. In other words, could bad parenting or maybe like lazy parenting be a big part of why kids are struggling emotionally more now than maybe in a, in a previous time? It's like, are some parents just shielding their kids from life? For the first 17 years of their life, they just, they protect them from everything. They jump in front of every bullet that comes their way. So when the bullets start flying at 17 or 18, they don't know what is going on. They don't know what to do. I mean, you just hear this. Get, get people who work with kids together. Get teachers or a group of coaches or, or a group of guidance counselors who spend time with kids and who also spend time with their parents. And you just hear this more and more. It's like, my kid can do no wrong. It wasn't their fault. Well, the teacher just has it out for him. Come on. You think teacher's got more to do than just have it out for your kid? Well, the coach just doesn't like her. It's like your kid, your kid got caught doing something. Well, it wasn't him. Come on. We have videotape of it. Well, I think somebody doctored the videotape. Like, what are you, crazy? And now they're dumped on a college campus. And nobody's there to come to the rescue. And they can't handle it. And listen, I'm not saying... I'm a big psychology guy. If I had the opportunity to go back and get another degree, it would be for psychology. I'd like to be a... I'd like to be a... You know, not that I want to be a psychologist, but I'd like to have the expertise of a, of a psychologist. I, I believe it. I really do. I think psychology and theology are totally related. They're like cousins. They're not exactly the same, but they, they, they kind of look like each other. They intersect because they come from the same place. So I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-therapy at all. I think having somebody to talk to is a great, necessary thing. We all need it. But you know what I think has also happened? While the need for, you know... Therapy has increased. The practice of faith has decreased. Could there be a correlation there? Why, why schools are like doubling their resources for these services. And nobody's going to church on the college campuses. Could there be a connection there? You know, look at this parable. You know, we, kind, of a, kind of a memorable one. We've heard it a thousand times. Person's dropping these seeds everywhere. Good soil, bad soil. Everybody, every all, all the soil gets seeds dumped on it. But it only takes root in one place. Why did the seeds planted in the rich soil produce fruit? Because it was rich soil. 
Well, why was it rich soil? Because somebody worked it. Somebody worked the soil. Somebody worked the field. Who says it was always rich soil? Maybe it was once rocky. Maybe it was filled with rocks. And when people dumped seeds then, nothing took. And if somebody realized, you know what? We gotta go out and dig up these miserable rocks. And that's gonna break our back. But we don't do it, we're not producing any fruit. Or maybe, the, maybe it was in a completely dry area. There was no water. It was like, well, then we gotta dig a ditch. We gotta find a way of getting water from where there is water to where there isn't. And that's not gonna be easy. That's gonna be backbreaking. But we don't do that. We got nothing growing in this field. To me, the operative word here is work. And is that somehow, or a lack of appropriate work, being factored into some of these parents who just run to the rescue and cover and protect at all cost? Here's the point. You know, we've all got some field that needs to be worked. We're all assigned to a field. If your parents, well, the field of cultivating your kids' lives and your kids' souls. If you're a kid, it's being a good kid. Trying to grow up and be an honorable, respectable person. What's your field? Am I appropriately working the field that I've been assigned? No, I'm just like, sometimes I wonder, like, hey, those of you, let's by like a show of hands. When you were a kid and you got caught, you got in trouble, you got a, a phone call came home from the, the principal or a teacher or a coach or the, a cop, and your parents were informed that somehow you were in, involved with something. How many of you, by a show of hands, were presumed guilty immediately? <laughs> like the presumption was, yeah, the teacher's telling the truth. My 14-year-old is a knucklehead, and he did something stupid. I don't think the teacher's lying. I don't think the cop is out to get my kid. The coach doesn't dislike my kid. My kid got caught. My kid made a mistake. You know, if you raised your hand, I think, we, I think collectively we should be grateful that that was the reality in our homes. Because if it's not, I think we're setting kids up for, for trouble. I think it becomes tough days on the campus when finally I've got to be accountable for something. I can't be bailed out anymore. Working the field isn't easy. But if we don't work it now, we pay the promise. We pay, we pay a heavy price tomorrow. Go to church. Go to church all the time. Go to church every Sunday. That's not easy. That absolutely requires a commitment. I'm running all over the place. I'm busy. Hey, I had a conversation with a kid about a week ago. Great kid in the parish who I run into in one of the uh, restaurants in town. He comes up and he says hello. And he says to me, 
Because, oh, you know, I haven't been to Mass in a while. Work is so tough. You know, I didn't say anything. I was like, yeah, I, 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 it is tough. It's tough maneuvering the two. And he was like, i got to get to Mass. I was like, yeah. He's back at Mass. I saw him this weekend. Like, it can be done. It's not easy. Talk about having respect for this kid realizing, like, I, gotta, I, like, I should be doing this myself. Taking ownership. Teaching your kids their prayers. <laughs> Seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? You know what's sort of mind-blowing? Is the number of kids I, I'll see in religious ed or in the school, second graders, third graders, who don't know the Hail Mary, don't know the Our Father. I'm like, how could they not know it? I know how they don't know it. Their parents never sat them down by the bed, in bed, and said the prayers with them. They're not going to learn it in one, one go through. It means like every night we got to go up and we got to say our prayers. We don't do that. They're going to be in trouble 16 years later on some college campus and they're going to be knocking on the door of some therapist. And sometimes that's needed. And you know what? Sometimes it's really not. You know what's needed? Saying a Hail Mary and our Father. And being reminded like, okay, I'm going to get through this. This is tough. But tough is a part of life. Life isn't always easy. And it's certainly not always fair. But I know I'm not alone. I know I can get through this. Man, parents who are being willing to watch everything that your kid is watching. How much work is that? Having to monitor every thing that they have access to. You know, when lots of us were kids, there was one TV in the house. And there were like nine channels. And they were all virtually harmless. Clearly a different world. Everybody's got access to everything. So if I'm a parent, I've got to be like crazy vigilant. That's the field I need to be working in. Saying no. And just being really unpopular. Just being knowing that you're really not liked right now in your house. By a particular person, or maybe even a couple of them. Because you're just saying no. When every other parent around you has decided, I'm not working that job. I'm not going out into that field. I don't, I'm tired of fighting with my 15-year-old. I'm tired of saying no. So I'm just not going to do the work. And you're like, well, I only have a couple of these kids. And there's nothing in my life that matters more to, more to me than them. So I have got to get back in the field or remain in the field. You know, I'm so glad. Like My parents were like... It was like they were bulletproof when it came to us. And like, at least they seemed like they were. Like, they didn't appear to have like this desire to be super close with us. And our best pals, where we'd sit and share things all the time. Hey, now as adults, yeah. Absolutely. But at, at other times in life, it's like, no, I, I, I can't worry about not being liked. I gotta let these bullets bounce off. Because I'm going to pay a serious price down the line if I, do, if I don't. And hey, this isn't just about, to me, about raising kids. I think this is just about living a moral life. Just being a Christian and trying to do it right. It's about planting these seeds and hoping they take root. And a lot of times they don't. You know, we, we do mess things up and people do make mistakes. 
But you've got to keep planting the seeds. And we can't let discouragement stop us. I remember reading this it's a pretty cool story about, I think I even mentioned this here once, Boris Yeltsin, he was the, I guess he was the first president of Russia after the fall of communism. So he had this very unique role. It was to promote freedom and reform within this communist country. And he had a lot of opposition. A lot of old guard communists were fighting him and were after him. And it was an absolute battle. Just talk about work in the field just to maintain the nation, the new nation, and these new freedoms. Anyway, I think this was an interview after he retired. He's, he's since died. But he was asked, like, what kept you going in those difficult days? What gave you courage to sort of stand firm and remain firm? And he said, like, without even batting an eye, he said, Poland. He said, the people of Poland. Because they resisted the communists. He talked about the uh, solidarity, the labor union, Lech Walesa. He was that electrician who started it all. And that was the beginning of the end in Poland, which was the beginning of the end. John Paul II had a huge role in it. But he pointed to Lech Walesa. He said, I knew his story, and I knew he didn't give up. He worked the field. And they won. Well, you know what? Lech Walesa was asked the same question. Separate interview, totally different context, was asked the same question. There are his struggles, the opposition of the communist government. Why did you keep fighting? And he said, the United States. The Americans inspired him, the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King, he said, I, I read about his life and his example and his refusal to surrender. Well, King was asked the same question 45 years ago. Why didn't you give up? And he said, Rosa Parks, she inspired him. Her refusal to get, uh, get up and move to the back of that bus in the late 1950s. He's like, man, if she didn't give up, I can't. These are the fields we are meant to be in right now. Well, come on, let's just connect the dots. Connect the seeds. Is this too much to maybe kind of say, like, Rosa Parks kind of responsible for the, the downfall of communism? I mean, it sounds preposterous, but like, look at what these people said. Look at what these key players said. It was all about people planting seeds. And seeds taking root. And this gospel making sense. It's all about the seeds. It's all about work in the field. So what's your field? Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, keep an eye out for our discussion and our Q&A episodes. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back next week, and until then, God bless.